Quiet on the set. Okay, everybody, quiet on the set. Scene one, take ten, Marker. Studio WHUPLP Hillsboro. Welcome to Murmur. My name is Robert Malazzo. Over the next hour together, we'll explore where culture meets craft. Today on Murmur, no static at all. Actor, writer, bassist, Harry Shearer is with us to talk about Stilly Dan. Welcome. Murmur. Welcome back to Murmur. Robert Malazzo here with you. I'm the founder of the Modern School of Film with you every week on whupfm.org. Also, evergreen, downloadable, subscribable to Murmur Radio, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. We also have a website, murmurradio.com, social handles, at Murmur. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Murmur Radio. Write to us. Leave us a review on iTunes. Be fair. Be fair. Be fair. <laughs> MurmurRadio.com. MurmurRadio at Gmail is the email. Murmur Radio. Welcome. So today's show... Harry Shearer is going to be with us, and today's show is kind of an action reaction to a few things, so let's set the table for you. Thank you for being here with us, with me. Uh, Let's set the table for you, then we can bring in Harry. Um, One thing I have grown to have very little, it's not tolerant, it's not that I'm intolerant to it, I just hate it. I hate it. I hate the social media eulogizing of artists, not simply artists, but public figures who die. I hate the social media, Instagram, Twitter eulogizing. I just, it, it rubs me every bit the wrong way. Recently, Walter Becker, the co-founder of Steely Dan, passed away, and our condolences to the Becker family, and to Donald Fagan. Donald is a friend, uh, and they co-founded the band Stilly Dan. We'll cover all that over the course of today. When Walter died, there were some fascinating responses, yes, via social media. And it's not that I ignored these responses. I observed them, but I think most often responses to public artist passings are, I always feel, I feel they're heaped and, and steeped in narcissism, I think it's it's about a, it's sort of a grandstand. Look, look at my culture. Look, look at how I. It's kind of the MySpace moment. Look what what interests me. Look at who influenced me, and and that's fine. And and we litigate that on a, on a weekly basis here. But I find, unfortunately, in in my view, more often than not, it's about the poster, not the postee. When Walter passed, uh, I I noticed some really interesting social responses, and we'll cover that today. And one is from today's guest, Harry Shearer. And I thought about it. I thought, in reading some of the postings, I began to think about this idea of social eulogies. And, you know, we don't do them on the show, and today I'm doing one for two reasons. One, I wanted to bring in 
someone who was doing the eulogizing, and in this case, Harry Shearer had tweeted about Walter Becker's passing, uh, and he, it was a very simple tweet. He said, holy crap, Walter Becker has died per the New York Times. Half of the most amazing musical duo, duo since Lennon and McCartney, RIP, and it's a beautiful message, and it's a beautiful note. I simply thought, well, I know Donald. Donald's been a guest of other programs of mine, and we've exchanged emails over the years and on movies and, and, and stuff, and, and he has always been a great support and always had really kind words for me, and I've really enjoyed our correspondence. So I thought, I actually know Donald, and this may be an interesting opportunity for me, not to break my rule, but because I know I, know, I didn't know Walter, didn't have the honor or the pleasure, but I knew Donald, so I thought if I know part of the DNA of all this, maybe that entitles me or allows me or, or forgives me, or I forgive me. So I reached out to Harry, and I, I actually reached out for two, two people. I reached out to Donald, and I'll talk about that in a second, but I reached out to Harry, and Harry said, absolutely, I'll come on and talk about Steely Dan, the impact. He knows Donald. He had interactions with Walter. We'll talk about that with Harry today. I then reached out to Donald and Don. Uh, again, this is part of the tenderness of it. I mean, I do this weekly show, and I thought, well, am I reaching out to Donald? Is this a form of <laughs> the exploitation of which I'm railing against? And simply because I know Don via email, does that give me a passage in my own mind? I reached out to him and and I told him Harry was going to be with us on the sh- with me on the show and asked him very you know said I know during this really difficult time you know you're more than welcome to join and he didn't want to and I didn't press it but again it pressed some of the buttons of all this disturbance for me am I finally talking about Steely Dan because Walter has passed away I could talk about Steely Dan any any day I a year ago ten years ago five years ago I could have spoken about Steely Dan. But here we are. The critical mass has pushed us here, and I reached out to Harry, and I know that. So a lot of it is it's not in guilt. It's not guilt. It 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 feeds back to a common feeling I have about holidays. You know, we take holidays to to tell people you mean something, and anniversaries. I love you, and and I that's wonderful. Obviously, there's nothing to argue against there. But I always find why can't we do this in time, in real time? If you love somebody or somebody means something or something means something or an artist means something, do it in real time. And and yes, there are people who do it in real time and say, I love you in real time. And as I get older, I'm, I never miss an opportunity to people who I care about in that moment to say, I love you where I can, when I can. But it's, it, it's, it's front of mind, front of mouth. So artists who pass and that's our opportunity to say goodbye or reminisce and I don't know it feels a little promotional again you can argue that today is a form of promotion for Harry it's a form of devotion for me it's a form of devotion but again it, it, is, a, it is sort of a conflicted moment and and I even felt, you know, asking Donald, I thought, man, I'm I this man's longtime partner and friend has passed away, part of a musical legacy that will never be forgotten, and I'm asking him to to talk about it a week after, and it, am I straining my connection to Donald, you know, but a lot of times, and Donald is, I'll exclude him, but a lot of times artists don't want to talk about themselves in their time. You know, sometimes these stoppages of life, whether it's a holiday or a passing, are telling you, stop, stop and reflect. Some people need that alarm clock. Now, I'm not putting myself above them. I I don't need that alarm clock. But oftentimes with artists, they don't want to talk about their legacy because A, it doesn't mean the same thing to them as it does to fans and B, they're still creating it. So maybe throwing out an anchor once in a while has meaning. And I thought rather than do a continual eulogy of artists, <laughs> you know, I would ask other people to discuss, you know, and Harry is working with Donald now. And again, we'll talk about that in a kind of fun way. But, you know, and the tone will, will be what it'll be today. But 
all this is is to focus on the opportunity, but also talk about Steely Dan, which again, I don't, I didn't need a moment, I didn't need a cause to do it, but Walter's passing, obviously, again, you know, you see, it's it's a pretzel logic, haha, it's kind of a pretzel logic. The reality is, when Walter passed away on social media, and yes, this is another part of it, Harry didn't know the news until he read it on social media. A lot of people only hear about passings through social media, so there's that piece as well, further complicating it. The list of people who said wonderful things about Walter socially was interesting and extraordinary and diverse, and we'll talk about that today. Any major dude will tell you Walter and Stilly Dan meant and mean a lot to them. Any major dude will tell you, and today we have a major dude, Harry Shearer, telling you Harry in a moment on Steely Dan now this will you welcome Walter Becker and Donald Fagan who are Steely Dan okay how do you like that since you fellows never face your public this proves people are listening Say that's hello a, so we know you're here. That's a hell of a round of applause for just guys sitting great. here. Hey, how do you guys buck the system that way? Walter, I mean, I, I don't understand. We uh, fired all the roadies and we just said we couldn't go. We, how can we go? We can't <laughs> you have no roadies. These things. No organization. When was the last time Shirley Dan did tour? Well, our last show was July 4th, uh, 1974, was it? <laughs> that's right. And yeah. a good show it was. July. <laughs> we were getting really good by then. And we decided to quit while we were ahead. I think I get most a kick out of your career just watching that part. You really are doing it basically in your own terms, meaning you take the time you need to make what you think is the best you can do and avoid the things that uh, appeal to your less. Does that make any sense? It sure does. It makes a lot more sense than what we were doing before that, which yeah. was doing it on someone else's terms. Yeah. Know? And I think anybody would do that in any situation, given the chance, but for some reason in rock and roll, um, you're expected to go out and entertain. It's really, you feel more like an entertainer or a... Uh, you don't performer think than a, no, no. Mm -hmm. We're not really performing. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I think you just throw up a lot. And, you know, before the show, it was messy and it was odiferous. And mm -hmm. It's much better this way. Well, in other words, you don't like Fan. to go on there and twirl your guitar and have a laser effect <laughs> or wear makeup like Kiss. No, we yeah. gave away the smoke bombs. And June 4th, 1974 was the last <laughs> smoke bomb I saw go off. <laughs> That wasn't even our, that was the Doobie Brothers smoke That's bomb. That's right, it was Mike McDonald's personal smoke bomb. That band used to blow up every night. Everything would blow up. The next day, there it was, perfect. It was great. I never, never understood. You know. Never broke your instruments like Townsend and Entwistle? And no, I almost broke my knee once trying to break my instrument. Pure frustration. One, one time, I did kick over an amplifier uh, because of uh, unsatisfactory... Uh, um, failure to modulate amplitude on the part of the guitar player next to me, a big Marshall amp, and it was like so yeah. loud that I just, you know, I had to stop it. You had to stop yeah. it. Yeah. And he kept playing, you know, and I was like, nothing there. And he looked around. Yeah, you were, so, you were testy that night. Yeah, well, it was a tough night. It was in Houston, you know. And so what did he do? He kicked my amp player over. We were both there, you know. And, uh, Houston's a perfect place for that. Yeah. I guess that. Uh, performing and recording are just two distinct and separate things, aren't they? Unless you record while you're performing or perform while you're recording. You've not done it. We have, we have done that. You have done some. Which one was live? Well, none of them actually. Yeah. But the uh, the single that's being released from this album will. Have Gaucho is the new album. Yes, right. Mm -hmm. And the single will be. Hey nineteen. Hey nineteen. And on the flip side of that will be a live recording of Bodhisattva from. Uh, from June 3rd, 1970. Right. <laughs> uh, incidentally, in fact, without, I don't want to patronize them, but I believe it was from the curriculum of one of America's finest music schools. I'll even mention, I think it's Berkeley. Is that in Boston? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are you aware, gentlemen, that you are the subject of a songwriting class in that institution? 
No. No, this is news to us. Well, you are. And uh, <clears throat> a lot of this is purely subjective. For example, uh, I, I actually thought this was kind of funny. And again, I don't want to patronize, but it's, uh, it's a Stilly Dan's The Royal Scam provides an excellent example of the rhyme's contribution to exposing the real form of a song. <laughs> I take it very seriously, you know. It's like a major breakthrough if they can interpret a particular line, you know. I never seen you looking so bad, my funky one. You tell me that your super fine mind has come undone. Any major dude with half a heart surely will tell you, my friend. Any minor world that breaks apart falls together again. When the demon is at your door, in the morning it won't be there. No. our show unless they kind of meet two thresholds threshold one is we know the artist or person involved the other threshold is i'm always fascinated who responds to the passing of the artist or the creator in, in question and recently uh, walter becker one lobe of the two-lobed brain of steely dan passed away at the young age of 67 and the tributes were fascinating and moving and and just inspiring everyone from Questlove to Ricky Lee Jones to Jason Isbell, Nile Rogers, Judd Apatow, William Gibson. Uh, Kanye West even said Kid Charlemagne was one of his favorite songs. Two tributes of note though jumped up at me. One was from Michael McKeon. Michael uh, sent along a, a picture of some liner notes that Walter had done for the 1992 Spinal Tap album Break Like the Wind. The other tribute was authored by another of the Tapians, today's guest. And we are honored to have talking about Walter Becker, Steely Dan, but so much more. Please welcome to Murmur and to the Modern School of Film, Mr. Harry Shearer. Harry, welcome to the show, man. Thanks. Thanks so much. When did you first hear that Walter had passed? How did you hear the uh, news? As, as so much uh, today, I was, uh, I'd awakened and uh, opened my Twitter feed and saw somebody uh, passing on the uh, headline from the New York Times, and I immediately jumped on to express my my uh, shock and uh, regret is a mild word for what I felt, but uh, I had to express myself as quickly as possible. Thank you for being here, and my condolences. Uh, to the lovers of Walter. Donald, I know, and I asked Donald to be with us, and he didn't want to uh, encroach on our time together. But um, Walter obviously had that moment in time with Spinal Tap, but did you have a, a specific connection to Walter? Did you know where no, Walter? No, my connection with Walter was strictly musical. Uh, uh, I, until you mentioned that, I had forgotten that Walter had done the, the liner notes, uh, those comments for the uh, Break Like the Wind record, and of course now... I remember exactly, but that was not like me. And uh, I uh, have met and dined with uh, Donald. And uh, yeah, my so my uh, association with Walter was totally through through the, the work, uh, which you know, one could argue you can't get a deeper connection with, with people. Perhaps. When did you first yeah. meet Donald Fagan? What? Because I know Donald. Uh, it, it seems maybe there's a more specific moment. A moment for the two. Yeah, of you. yeah. Um, uh, a friend of my wife's and mine. Uh, she and her husband 
are friends with Donald, and they said we were in New York, which was a rare occasion for us. I think we'd originally used her as a conduit to ask Donald if he wanted to appear on the uh, Christmas show that my wife and I, Judith Owen, do for charity every year. Right. And he very graciously agreed to do it. It was at uh, uh, City Cafe in uh, New York. Yeah. And he came up and he did. And he then he, he absolutely gobsmacked me because he said, will you play bass with me? And I, <laughs> I didn't sign up for that. Uh, he did two numbers. He did a, a, a solo piano number uh, by Duke Ellington which I got to see from the stage point of view. Oh and gosh. then he asked to play uh, bass with him as he did a uh, his version of uh, Eric Idle's holiday classic, Fuck Christmas. <laughs> that old chestnut. <laughs> that old chestnut roasting by uh, an open brush bar. And then we had a, 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 an explosively interesting dinner conversation. Donald, as you know, is, is a remarkable conversationalist. It surely is. And... Um, and then um, uh, he agreed to uh, perform on uh, the, the upcoming Derek Smalls uh, solo album. Speaking of Derek Smalls uh, and those liner notes, you know, you should really revisit them because there's a really there's some cool passages Walter wrote about Derek. I don't know if, if memory serves now. No, I mem- does not serve, but I will. I will check them out. I'll, I'll contextualize a little bit just for shits and giggles. He he talks about the invention of something called the Graham Crosley. It's a device you physically wear it, and the, you gauge the ionic muons of the singer's vocal output. It's brilliant, but apparently Derek uh, couldn't wear it because he had a brass kidney. So, <laughs> can you confirm or deny that Derek has a brass kidney? I would have to make further inquiries. <laughs> Maybe a full body X-ray is in the is Maybe. in, is in the. Sure. You know, it's interesting. Yeah. I, I want to talk a little bit about history and and maybe take it from the inside out with Steely Dan. Um, mm. But you know, the history of Donald and and Walter and you so I think righteously eloquently placed them right near Lennon McCartney in mm. your tweet. They met at Bard, and, and we don't have to go through the full history. But one thing I thought was interesting, their early iteration of playing together had another Bard student playing on the drums, a guy named Chevy Chase. Chevy was a was a pre-med student at uh, Bard. Did you and Chevy, have you guys ever, was Stilly Dan ever a conversation point or, you know, just in general as, as these things go? I wouldn't say that uh, any interaction that I ever had with Chevy uh, remotely resembled conversation. <laughs> Got, copy, uh, copy. I was working enough to make kind of enough contact where he would be in the same sketch with me. Right, right. So you didn't overhear him in a urinal t- singing a Steely Dan song. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think Steely Dan is such a unique cocktail of stuff. How would you describe Steely Dan's sound? Uh, I, w- I was thinking about, about this very question before you called. Uh, how would I do that? Um, and I think what I go to first is that, uh, for a couple of white kids, uh, they were always, uh, obsessed with, uh, groove. And so they had, uh, you know, the, the cream of, of American drummers, uh, basically setting the groove. And then of course, Walter and other bass players, uh, chiming in so there's there's a really solid groove to their work right uh they're they're you know which says to me uh no matter what we do no matter what flights of fancy we we take no matter what strange chords we we put in here we're not fucking around (laughs) you know you have to situate them i think if you're looking from the longer view almost as uh inheritors if not uh consciously influenced by the uh, Zappa universe, mm. where you gather the best musicians you can find, lay down some really basic stuff, and then let everybody else um, fly. I mean, obviously Zappa uh, was in a, a different, uh, on a different musical path than these guys. The choice of the name of the band was really... <laughs> You're reading my mind here. Yeah, go on. You're reading my mind. You know, it's the insertion yeah. of... of uh, of uh, William Burroughs' uh, dildo straight up the ass of American popular music. Yeah. Uh, a steam-powered a steam powered dildo, no less, but anyway. 
take all those transgressive elements and try to transfuse them into the bloodstream of American music, American popular music, uh, you have to start with groove. That's your entry point. Hmm. Uh, that's what attracts the ears of the, of the, of the um, casual listener. And then the careful listener gets rewarded with uh, remarkable changes and uh, remarkable playing and uh, absolutely um, mesmerizing lyrics. There's so much to, to pick at there, not that one needs to, but I was thinking of the way they met, that Donald Fagan had heard uh, Walter Becker playing, and Fagan said it sounded like a black man playing. <laughs> you know, and, and also thinking of some of Walter and Walter's influences. Yes, jazz, but you pinpointed so eloquently blues but but what i would call bended blues like a bb king and a taj mahal blues and it's funny because walter said that kind of blues puts jazz to shame so mm-hmm. it both isn't it's city, yeah it's the it's city blues it's not country blues. right right donald was a kid of jazz he used to go to the village vanguard from he used to sneak away from New Jersey like any rational child would on the weekends to go to the Village Vanguard and listen to, to Mingus and, and the greats play. Um, it's all this kind of melange of stuff. And you also said something about Zappa, and I want to investigate that a little bit because there is a kind of dark humor, and maybe that's a lyrical thing. Just subtler, subtler things that, you know, uh, and I don't even know if they're intended as jokes, but, you know, uh, homages slash... Uh, jokes uh, world i'm kind of familiar with but you know <laughs> i'd heard yeah yeah and you you know you hear a, a a pop song it was a pop song it was a hit record uh ricky don't lose that number and then you go oh yeah song for my father mm. yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. something something being said there do you have a favorite stilly dance song or one song that really nails you every time um, i know you played deacon blues recently yeah. on your on your show and babylon oh, sisters yeah, I mean, I, I can't say there's a favorite, but you asked, is there a song that nails me every time I hear it? doesn't mean it's my favorite, but right. it does have that, the, the, it retains the potency of effect on me, it would be Deacon Blues. Yeah. Um, I think it speaks to everybody who, uh, who tries to uh, get through this industry alive. It's an amazing choice, and it's funny. Donald and I know Walter said the same thing. It's their most autobiographical of songs, which yeah, which yeah. is curious because Walter said about that song, he, and I'm quoting: "The protagonist is not a musician." Mm-hmm. What I like about that is he's using words like protagonists, <laughs> you know, for for a songwriter. To, yeah. Paid for him to go to Bard, after all. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, actually, Walter flunked out. <laughs> uh, they were on the on the tail end almost the, the evisceration of the Tin Pan Alley, but into the Brill Building 
time. They were working out of the Brill Building. What mm. what makes them great songwriters? What in, what in a clinical way makes what, what gives us the call to call them great songwriters? As you trace the evolution of their writing, uh, they never lose that that grasp on melody. They just start putting weirder chords underneath the melodies. <laughs> but uh, the melodies are always, you know, you hear a song maximum of two times and you can sing along with it. Uh, you don't, you may not yet know what the words mean that you're singing, but you're singing along with them and then you think about the words. There are great songs that have almost nonsensical lyrics, so you can't say there are not, there are no great songs without uh, lyrics of, of poetry and profundity, but certainly uh, uh, lyrics with a, a higher literary content, um, I think, uh, stand the test of time a little better. You know, we look back at, at songs that we might have loved as kids and, and, and put up with the banality of them, and, and now we're a bit embarrassed by it. I don't think you'll ever be embarrassed by having liked a Steely Dan song. When William Gibson, A, tweets, and B, when he tweets that Walter was one of his favorite writers, I think we know what church we're kind of praying in. Uh, we're talking to Harry Shearer. Uh, a couple other thoughts to throw at you, Harry. From a song story perspective, less a sound perspective, look in, look, looked at on a piece of paper, what lyric, any Steely Dan lyrics that, again, clinch it for you or nail you? Deacon Blues, the, the, the line, and I quoted it on my radio show as sort of a tribute to Walter after I played the song, is uh, his brother is free, which sort of stands for the struggle that the, the non the non song the non musician has to uh, undergo to even try to cross that line, uh, and the struggle that those of us who are in any of these creative businesses have to uh, maintain uh, to keep connection with our voice, our uh, you know, the voice inside. I, I love the story of Black Cow. Uh, I kind of knew a little bit about it, uh, so it may have, have triggered more with me. I knew a little bit about the, the, the personalities involved in what may have been the ins inspiration for the song. I don't want to... We don't have to name names and, and that kind of thing. Have you ever felt you suffered knowing something about a song? And this could be a general address because you know more about the song does it ever has it ever detracted from a song or does it always kind of yeah. in oh i think it just deepens it you know and it gives it another layer uh i think the you know frankly to, to uh, state a, a banal generality i think the more you know about anything the better off you are i'm going to tell the president that um that's a, ah. I'll, pa I'll pass i'm going to pass that along i'm going to pass that along you may want to tweet that <laughs> We're speaking with Harry Shearer. Donald and I have talked a lot about movies, and, and uh, in Donald's really sweet, and I like how concise he was in his note about Walter. They talked about Robert Altman uh, a little bit, and how they used to bond on Robert Altman movies, and Don uh, told me they they loved, they saw MASH together. He talked about how they first saw MASH together, and they loved it. And and here I am, you know, like a, like a dork thinking, oh yeah, Robert Altman loved jazz, and they loved jazz. So I asked Donald, why did you guys like Robert Altman movies? He said they had lots of trippy sunlight, and the women were like girls we actually knew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, there's film criticism that means something. <laughs> Altman was drawn to jazz, and, and I was thinking of you, you know, and Chris Guest has been on our show, and I was thinking of this kind of, the craftsmanship of this DNA. Um, what is it? What is the, for, maybe not jazz as much, but what is it, what is it about the, the pablum of being a musician and maybe a jazz thinker that feeds into you as a creative force? Do you think there has been a, 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 a direct line, or is this fiction? I'll, I'll, I'll bounce off that question to say that uh, one thing that I've, I've learned increasingly as I, I do more work is, um, and this applies to both music and comedy, because uh, I was never trained as an improviser. I, I stumbled into it when we made Spinal Tap. Um, I'm fascinated by uh, the line where you know you have an idea, uh, creative people have ideas, and that you you that, that takes you into a room, a metaphorical room, and then there comes a point where you sort of have to let go of what you came in with, mm. 
you, you, intention gets you into the room, intention gets you into the room, and then you have to uh, uh, free yourself, allow yourself to let go of your intention as other things arise, as other things occur to you, or as, as you bump into other people or other things that start other thing, other threads happening. Uh, sometimes, uh, partly because of the business, partly because of the business saying, hey, this isn't what you pitched. You told us this, and now you're coming in with this. Uh, you have to be able to say uh, to yourself, first of all, first and foremost, yeah, I, this is what I intended to do, but I'm going to follow where it's going now. And you, you know, you hear novelists, other people talk about the thing takes you along. You have to. You're almost like, if, uh, almost like you're a stenographer of the journey that you're you're on, uh, and you, you're not pulling out the map, going no. But we we started out going here, uh, and I think that's the thread that that is in common with you know. To me, most of the interesting creative work is that uh, there's an intention, but you're. People aren't limited by that intention. They allow the thing to grow in some surprising direction. And I think you see that with the songs, you know. Uh, I, I, I don't know their process, but it's, it seems to me like sometimes these lyrics start out as a, as a, just as a starting point and, and then take a, take a little trip, you know. And I think they're laughing a little bit. I mean, Donald always oh. talked about how much their lyrics made them laugh. Yeah, uh, I mean, and you know, they they take the piss out of themselves quicker than anyone ever could. You know, they take the air out of that balloon. Uh, I, I don't, I don't think there was anything ever pompous or self-important or, or uh, about any of the project. You know, I think uh, uh, critics, and I, I mean, I don't mean music critics. I mean people who are critical of the band. Sometimes I think focused on the texture, the really. Uh, pristine texture of the records uh how you know perfectionist they were really uh, and are uh in terms of their recording uh process uh and get distracted by that you know but there are so many cross currents of that one of the keys uh, to me uh, of which one of the key elements of which is donald's voice there's nothing perfect about donald's voice and uh, right. it's served as a continual reminder. Yeah, there's this really perfect musical setting, and all these, you know, the top of the line dudes are playing their asses off, and yet there's something crazy going on here. <laughs> but it's funny because Donald said he was the default singer of the band. He wasn't a singer. He, but he, what he said, and I want to pitch this back to you, is he had the right attitude. He said the songs needed attitude, which I think is really, uh, it's not often discussed in this. Talk about that in a sense. Talk about a little bit about the, the not the approach, but like the lyrical, the vocal approach, but the attitude. He had that in spades. Not, yeah? yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that, that that's why it was remarkable that those songs, uh, the early songs especially, became hit records is you weren't hearing that attitude on the radio <laughs> you know uh you were hearing yeah. some some posing uh but you were not hearing a, a straight shot of that attitude uh in, that he embodied and that's what i think made those songs stand out uh and it's and it's if you think about it if you think about donald's voice and I, i'm thinking about singing a lot these days but uh it's a voice that, for all its technical um, lack of uh, theoretical perfection, um, cuts through. And what you want in in the pop or near pop world is a voice that cuts through, as you so you can put as much sound as you want around it, and it's it's still saying your your uh, your attention is still drawn to it. And I think you listen to those records and imagine what they sounded like coming out of the radio and that voice cut through attitude is something that you see especially in the pop world now people trying to affect with great obvious effort and it just seemed effortless from him seems effortless from him it's it's him 
I, I like I like the fact that we're speaking with Harry Shearer about Steely Dan, Walter Becker, Donald Fagan. I like the fact that you keep throwing the word pop back. It's an important word uh, for a couple of reasons. They they loved uh, Lieber and Stoller. They loved some of the classic writers, but they also loved Burt Bacharach and Hal David. And one thing they said about one thing Walter said about uh, ha- uh, Burt Bacharach was that. You listen to it and it's a pop song, but it's really Stravinsky. You know, there's a there's a Stravinsky like classical music complexity, and Walter was interested in how far they can push that, but back to pop. Yeah, no, that that you 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 heard that all the time, that tension all the time. We want right. to be, in, we want to push it. Backrack was amazing. It's amazing in that regard. Uh, the the tempo changes, uh, the harmonic stuff that's going on. Uh, he he was equally is equally the perfectionist that uh, Donald and Walter are. I happen to know that firsthand. <laughs> uh, I'll trust you uh, on that. <laughs> uh, but you know, um, I, yeah, I, I didn't know that they were into back rack, but it doesn't surprise me because uh, yeah, he was especially in the context. You listen to the other stuff that was on the radio at the time that back rack and David were making hit records. Uh, now you had Motown, you had British rock, and then you had an awful lot of, uh, I mean, people forget about all the piffle that was on the radio in the 60s and, and 70s, you know, bubblegum being uh, one one facet of it. And Backrack is here with this orchestral stuff, uh, and it gets by, it gets through because, now he was doing sort of the opposite of what, what uh, well, not the opposite, but a, a different take on it because he he would put a uh, usually. No, I don't. I, I'm I'm thinking as I say this, uh, it's a characterization I don't want to be stuck with. But anyway, uh, he he managed to sneak this stuff into the pop world. Uh, I, I guess what I was trying to say is partly through the use, of, the very clever use of of a selection of certain kinds of singers. And Walter actually talked about Bacharach with Dionne Warwick. Uh, so you're locating it. They were especially enamored of that alchemy, uh, which was this sort of teardrop in the middle of this grandeur, as as you suggest. But but I think Donald and Walter, again, as you suggest, uh, were down and dirty in a sense. But it's interesting, no less complex. And I think that's what, you, what, what part of another part of the subterfuge of what you're saying. There, Walter and Donald's compositions musically were so complex no one when they were songwriters one of the reasons they started steely dan is artists stopped being able to play their songs yeah the the abc artists couldn't play their songs the arrangements were too challenging and thank goodness (laughs) well it's funny because you know we i referenced some of the artists who have done who who paid them homage and jason isbell great country singer he said i used to play in a steely dan cover band it was the hardest band he said I ever played in. A couple more beats with Harry Shear here. One of the cool things about satellite radio was always a Steely Dan song on Sirius XM. I keep having no static at all in my mind because you keep talking, bumping, <laughs> honestly, man, because you keep bumping into radio and you, their songs had a unique fit to radio. Their, their songs kind of resembled the growth of FM radio. I always find their stuff reminds me of a nostalgia because again, another part of their their hybridness is they both had West Coast and East Coast sensibilities. A lot of people yeah. are surprised to realize they moved to LA pretty quickly and then back to New York right before they yeah. disbanded. But do you remember the time in your life? God, I sound like a, a, a Hal David lyric. Do you remember that time in your life when you were listening to them on the radio? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I was an avid uh, listener to music radio, both the, the AM and FM uh, varieties. You know, I I, we, I made that comp- comparison with Lennon McCartney. My anticipation of a new Steely Dan record was about on a par with my anticipation of a new Beatles record. Wow! I'd wait for it. I I, I, wow. I I devoured it. McKean and I would sit together and listen to uh, a new one when it came out a couple, uh, two or three times, and just sort of. And I remember, with with my fine ears, uh, as time went on, the fact being that the first listen was not the best listen. Hmm. The first listen was, oh, huh, huh, hmm, I gotta listen to this again. Yeah. And it was only the second or third listen that I began to really get it. You know, as a, as as the records went on, by the time you're getting to like 
well past pretzel logic. Uh, and yet those are obviously the finest of the, of the whole, Ooh. so pardon me. Um, you, you mentioned the, 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 the West East coast, West coast thing. And, and, uh, you know, the songs are peppered with indications of that, of course, uh, most notably on Babylon sisters, the, uh, that wonderful refrain, here come those Santa Ana winds again. You don't write that as you're living it. No. <laughs> that's right. They didn't even know how to drive when they moved to L.A. Uh, that, that's when you know you're, you've been in New York too long. In the age of the iPhone, somebody would have been shooting <laughs> and we'd have been treated to the, the, the light of watching Donald and, and Walter learn to drive. The last beat is a Stilly Dan beat. Um, and, and then I do want to ask one question about the you and the Donald Fagan of it all as we move into the next couple of years and, and such. You said a word that I think is one of the most underrated words, and it's tension. Well, you said intention, and you really can't spell intention without tension, as you know. Um, but, but I think tension is an underrated word. It takes a bad rap, because I always tell my filmmaking students, tension means expectation. And I don't mm-hmm. mean that to be cheeky. I mean Hitchcock, you know. Yeah. It, 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 it's we're, it's the expectation of the thing. So, but tension. I want I want to locate it a little more mortally um, in terms of co-writing and co-creation. Now you've been in that the, those maelstroms and lived to tell about it. What about the co-writing of it all? Uh, Walter and, and and Donald. You know they split in the late in the early eighties. I know Walter had his ghost. We don't need to litigate that here. He was very open about that. Donald was very open about that. They didn't want a band. The band wanted a tour. They didn't want a tour. They brought in studio musicians. That's all Wikipedia. But since I have you in our closing here, talk a little bit about co-creation. It has is that tension? Is that tennis match with? with all its bells and whistles and rancor and pats on the back, does that feed greatness? Can that feed greatness? Greatness is, is, you know, a a result. Let me talk about it as you're going through it for a minute. Uh, I've been in all sorts of collaborations. I've been in collaborations of choice and collaborations uh, of necessity. And uh, as an only child, I, I seek out collaboration. Um, that's my favorite place to be. Um, I, I do other kinds of work out of necessity, but that's, that's where, I, that's where my heart is. And, you know, I, I've experienced it in, in two different flavors and you can and, and, and judge, as I say it, which would be the one that's more nurturing, uh, one where the ideas flow and grow much faster than they would if you were doing the work by yourself and one in which the ideas flow as if they're trapped in amber and uh, the whole process is in slow-mo and uh, that's excruciating to me but the, there's something exhilarating uh, about the, the, the badminton match or the ping-pong match of ideas that it just you know when, when people are you know, the people I've worked with were, were very different people, maybe more different from each other than Donald and, and, and uh, Walter in some cases. But ideas can just, it's like an electrical connection that is super, or going at a faster voltage, a higher voltage or something. Mm. And uh, yeah, I think uh, what when I work by myself, now I, I kid myself perhaps, into trying to set up conditions almost akin to that, where that thing can happen, but inside my own head. But that the, the, that's emulation. That's like, okay, that it, it sounds like an orchestra at a digital computer, but it's not the same as an orchestra. An orchestra playing together is something different. And similarly, if you're with a collaborator, you may be incredibly different people, but there's this one place where the, you, you make yourself, make each other laugh just helplessly, or you, you're thinking of the same note at the same time, or the same word, almost the same word, or the same change at the same time, and you're going, wow, that's weird. That thing, as you experience it, it's, it's magical, and you just want more of it. You, 
yeah. until you the people are unbearable and you have to get away. Well, you know that coda and the way you present that coda is really a lot fascinating to me because you know after Gaucho, Walter said he used the word the F word twice in a sentence, and it was the other F word. It was fun. He said it was not as much fun. It wasn't as it wasn't fun at all, really. So, again, to grind this down into the ordinary. Does it have? Is there a shelf life on the demon that helps? You know, is there is there a recidivism too? I mean, is there a shelf life if it if it's not fun anymore? Does it extinguish out of necessity? On a human basis, yeah. I mean, you 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 you. It becomes hard to sit in a room waiting for that magic to happen with somebody that you don't want to be in the room with. Yeah, uh, the magic becomes. A the- you use the word. The tension, the magic becomes uh, something you're expecting rather than something that's happening. Um, other things are crowding in, you know, more mundane, uh, but uh, uh, eventually more uh, more pressing things are, are crowding that thing out. Um, and uh, you know, you 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 don't want that to happen. You you probably stay longer than you would otherwise because you are, are fighting it happening and, and wanting to go back. No, no, the other thing, the other thing. Let's get back to that other thing. But people grow and change, and that's what goes on. Well, maybe Lennon and McCartney did get that thing right. Two things, and I promise we'll let you go. Harry Shearer was so generous with his time, uh, incredibly busy and thoughtful with us here on Murmur. Derek Smalls, your friend, was recording, and... Donald, amongst other great musicians that you've assembled, man. But Mr. Fagan, how did Donald come into your mind to bring back in? And as he said, I'm just a background singer, man. That's what he told me. <laughs> how, how did Donald, you got a pretty cool, it's like having Michael McDonald as a background singer, right? Like, yeah. How did you, how did Don, how did that bell ring for you? Like, oh, let me see what Donald, Don's doing. <laughs> uh, no, there was, there was a, 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 an actual proximate cause, uh, I was, uh, Derek was singing the song, was doing the vocal track, and... Memo, uh, Memo to Willie? Memo to Willie is the name of the song. Willie is the British uh, description of the male member. Yes. And uh, uh, the, the, the bridge ends with, uh, when I'm dead, that's when you can slumber. He's, he's writing to his male member. When I'm dead, that's when you can slumber. Give me that lumber. And uh, after Derek had sung that, he then just ad-libbed, Willie, don't lose that lumber. <laughs> and the rest is magic. <laughs> See you at the opening. You know, it just finally clicked. Memo to Willie, memo to Turner. You know, it's it's all it's all happening. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, Stilly Dan is carrying on. You know, uh, Donald said in his last note, "I want to honor the the promise to keep the music going." How do you feel about that? I mean, you know, you're you're because you're a, you're such a big brain. You're both fan appreciator and practitioner, and we talk about staying too long at the dance a little bit. What do you think? What what is your what is your hope? I guess for the the future iterations of Stilly Dan. It's a weird comparison, perhaps, but uh, I, I watched Brian Wilson sort of outgrow the Beach Boys. Yeah. And at one point when I saw him, I think it was at uh, Royal Albert Hall with his new musicians. Uh, and I, I, I don't know if I said it to him. I don't, I don't know if he knows that I said it to him. But uh, I, I said, somebody, It's this is the moment when this music joins the repertory. Mm. And, you know, that's what's going to happen to the Steely Dan music. Uh, you know, music, when it uh, is a certain level of work, uh, trans- starts transcending uh, its instigators and ultimately joins the repertoire. This music is going to be transmitted down, assuming that humans still walk the earth 100 years from now. Um, this is going to be among the, the canon that's that's handed down. So, you know, we we think because we live in the world of the rock and roll business in terms of oldies acts and legacy acts and all that stuff uh, and uh, sort of one last payday for the band and all that kind of shit. But on a on a more 
long-term level, it's about um, now moving the music from that world into the American helping music repertoire. As Derek may sing, it don't get old. Uh, or, 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 do, or do or do get old. And just to round this back, man, for the last question, we've been eulogizing so many giants over the last years, you know, and as particularly to be frank in music, uh, if, if who, who's counting, right? Do you want to be publicly eulogized in that way? I know, man, this is going to crush your boner here, uh, uh, your Steely Dan fix, but do you want to be publicly bouquet? I, I want statues erected to me and then torn down. We can arrange it. That's a lot of that's going on now. So I think we can we can arrange that. In in short order, in short order, <laughs> without warning. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, man. Erected in the morning and and uh, taken down the following night. Done. Harry, speaking of the canon, you've contributed one to 32,000 works in the canon yourself. So thank you for all those treasures, man. And uh, thank you for your time today. Really appreciate it. Enjoy your evening. Cheers. We hear you're leaving. That's okay. I thought a little wild time had just begun. I guess you kind of scared yourself. You turn and run. But if you have a change of heart, Ricky, don't lose that number. You don't want to call nobody else. Send it off in a letter to yourself. Ricky, don't lose that number. It's the only. When I uh, told Donald that Harry was going to be on the show talking about him and, and Walter and Steely Dan, he said in his own unique way, which I love, he said, I don't know, I don't really know why Harry wants to talk about us. He's much more interesting. He used to be on the Jack Benny show, for Christ's sakes. And then he immediately segued into a, talking to me about a book he was reading. So I don't, I don't think Donald nor Walter, rest in peace, would be all that enamored of us talking about him. But again, maybe that's why this was the show to to set aside to talk about them. I actually asked Donald, uh, when you go, do you want artists to publicly eulogize you? And he said euthanize maybe as opposed to eulogize thank you Walter thank you Donald thank you Harry Shear thank you we want to thank Harry Shear for being with us today on Murmur live every week whupfm.org evergreen ever downloadable google play itunes stitcher 
Ironically, we have social handles at MSF Murmur, at MSF Murmur, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Follow us, listen to us. You know, losses like the ones we've been discussing today are good opportunities to investigate art on your own. So listen to Stilly Dan. There are worse things to do.